You're listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you'd like to know more about Hope Central or any of our ministries, please visit hopecentral.org.au. Well, um, today we want to talk about uh, being a dad or being a man, Father's Day. I, um, I, I think I'm learning a lot now that I don't have children at home about, uh, about how important family is. Um, learning a lot of things uh, as I get older. Uh, we've, been, we've been looking at the, the prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, before he, uh, before he established his ministry, died on the cross, rose from, a, rose from the dead. As he's finishing up, he, he makes this, this fantastic prayer that brings to us all the things that we need from God. And as he's finishing off this prayer, you can see the central message, the central heart, the desire that he has is that we would become part of God's own family. That he's praying that people that aren't God's natural born children become God's adopted children. And he says this, he says, oh righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. As I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Sometimes in this prayer, you find it, it seems a little bit complicated because it actually is quite legal. He's establishing things under the rule of heaven so that they will never be taken from us. They are given to us by his authority, and they are prayed in a way that they can never be undone. And what he prays is that we would know the Father, because Jesus knows the Father, and that through Jesus, we would enter into that same relationship. Do you know that when Jesus celebrates Father's Day, he knows who his Father is? Right? His Father is God, and Jesus wants us to have that same sense of celebration, that God is our Father, and that we really, really know that, and we know it to the fullest extent. We know the same love that Jesus has. That Jesus, when he wakes up, not that he's asleep, but when he wakes up every day, he just wakes up in this full knowledge that God is his father. And that that father, this great, awesome God, loves him unconditionally, fully, and that love means that he is completely prepared for, he's, he's completely planned for, he's got all of his needs met, he's got everything in his life cared for by a loving father. That is what makes the difference, knowing that you're family. And Jesus begins his prayer with the idea that we are to know him. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. In fact, Jesus defines life as knowing God. The whole purpose of your existence is so that you would know God. And that if you know God, that is truly life. That is life as good as it gets to walk in the knowledge of God. Do you notice what Jesus does not pray for in this prayer? Jesus is trying to solve your problem. He is asking for every issue of your life to be solved in this prayer. And not once does he pray about your sin. Not once does he pray about the evil governments of this world. Not once does he pray about dominating rich people who are ruining the world for the poor. Not once does he pray about slavery. 
He prays continually that people would know God. And do you know that if you know God, and if you know that you're loved by God, that that will solve your problem? And it will change your life. It will change you from being a sinful person chasing your own ends and your own needs. And you will find that you don't need to act in those ways, nor would you want to because you know the love of the Father. In fact, I could safely say that if you knew him and that you knew how much he loved you, that it would be like heaven. You would be living in this continuous relationship that is exactly the same as heaven is. Constantly surrounded by the presence of God, the knowledge of God, and the love of God. You know, we, because of sin, live outside of paradise. That's the story of the Bible. Adam and Eve created in the beautiful perfection of Eden. Living in a relationship with God where all of their needs are met and their emotional needs are are at peace And they live in this beautiful reflection of constant fellowship with God. But then when they decide to distrust God and move away, they are moved outside of that relationship. They are pushed out of paradise. And and Adam, because we're talking about men today, Adam is given a very particular kind of curse. It's, um, do you know that God as a good father is really good at discipline? He's going to smack you in the right way. Like, there, there were ways, I had two different children, there were ways that Lily, t- to be punished, like, if I sent Charlotte to her room, it was like social torture. You know, like, what? No people! How will I interface with the world? I can't stand it. I sent Lily to her room, she's like, cool, that's awesome. I'll organize some things, I'll plan some things, I'll think some things, I'll write some things, and draw some things, get away from all of these people, they're nasty. And so, It's not the right punishment. So God has this curse for men. As they exit paradise, he he places this particular way on us. And he says, to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, it's the women. It's it's right there. It's, It's right in the Bible. You can see it. No, just because you have eaten from the tree that I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it in all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. You see, God knows who men are, and he says of men, I am going to make your life harder. You are going to find that the way that you try to work this world, it will always be harder for you. I will make the... the, the, the things that you need to eat, they will come, but I will also make sure thorns and thistles grow. And he creates this, this reality that men struggle. Men constantly struggle. He says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you will return. Here is, I want to talk today about uh, men. And if you're a woman, then you could perhaps learn some things. And if you're a guy, you might learn some things that you don't know about the way the Bible talks about you. But if you are a man, there is a struggle inside of you. There is a struggle. And you were, you were in a sense, cursed to struggle until you know what it's like not to struggle. And we, we men 
live, we grow up in this world in which we always feel like we must constantly compete. But we're not quite sure what we're competing for. As the story goes on, when the first two boys are born, and there is two boys to compete, because there used to be just Adam and Eve, as soon as there's two boys, this is how they behave. It says, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of, his, of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. You see, this is the very first time when two boys show up at the same competition. And what happens? Comparison. Judging. One, one, Cain, he brings a minimum. He's not, he's not grateful, he's fearful. He's not thankful, he's measured. And so he only brings a little bit of what he's got. But Abel is celebratory. He's, he's in it. He wants to give it all. He, just, he takes the very best of what he's got and he just gives it to God because he says, I'm so grateful, this is so fantastic. And Cain measured a little bit for God. But notice what the two boys are obsessed about. They're actually obsessed about the favor of God, the pleasure of God. Will God like me? And when Cain is not received, it upsets him so much that he decides to eliminate the competition. He says, Cain spoke to Abel and his brother. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Because men compete. In our competition for life, life without capital letters, we are really looking for life with all the capital letters. And we compete against one another. I don't know if you, if you know what this is like. If you're a lady, you have a different kind of competition. We'll talk about that in a second. But I... I cannot believe how stupid I've been as a man in this horrible competition to try to win the approval and favor of others. If you get two, two guys together, especially young guys, and you just make a stupid competition out of anything, as soon as there's a competition, you get instantaneous interest. If there's nothing to win, nobody cares. But you just, nah, I'll bet on that game. Do you think, like, I cannot believe how dumb I was when I was in high school. Of all of the stupid things, even primary school, I cannot believe how dumb two guys can get locking horns to try to win the affection of some woman. That in the end, you don't really care about the affection of that woman. You just don't want the other guy to have the affection of that woman. I I remember getting in fist fights in kindergarten because we got to play we got to play duck duck goose do you know duck duck goose is you go around the circle and they did duck duck goose with the girls in the middle of the circle and then the guys would go around the outside and i wanted to stand next to the pretty girl and there was another guy that wanted to stand next to that pretty girl so two 4 year olds end up in a wrestling match I'm thinking, that's just dumb. Why am I doing that? 
I don't even know this person or her name now. In fact, I've competed and got the very best girl. Guys go to extraordinary lengths to even disfigure their bodies in order to get... I've talked to people who do weightlifting and and body, whatever this is, training, dysmorphia, when... They go to such extremes and actually shorten their lives because of the amount of torture that they put their bodies through to just get that muscle to pop. I got that muscle there on my lower back to pop. It ends up in constant fist fights. And in case you don't know all the sports, I love how people kind of look like they're sort of semi-happy when they're fighting. You can compete about how well you mow your lawn can compete about how cool your car is. can compete how good your weld is. can compete about how big a fish you caught. It leads us into doing stupid things. I can hang outside the window. No, I'll do it. Compete about how far you can jump on your push bike. Or how... Amazing, you can make your car go and then put it into a wall. I I, I just want to suggest this to you, gentlemen. If you're a man, you've probably done and are probably doing many stupid things to either try to gain or not to lose these four essential elements. Respect, status, worth, and acceptance. If you notice my two... This finger here, I won't show it to you individually. I'll only show it in a bunch, right? If you notice, I've got one finger that's slightly bent towards my right. I don't know. You have to tell that maybe up close. The reason it's shaped like that is because I was at a church volleyball tournament when I was 19 years old. And the other team that we were playing had been stacked with professional volleyball players and we were never going to win. They were, they were warming up, going from the back of the court and then diving to the front while somebody above the net threw the ball at the ground and they would dive to dig it up. And then they would tumble in a way that popped them back up on their feet so they were ready to set the next one. And I was like, we were all watching this and my volleyball team was like, see, instantaneously I knew I could not compete for the status I needed based on my volleyball skills. But I have another set of skills. Comedy. So I decided that I would mock the team on the other side by running from the back of the court, then diving, doing a tumble, getting up on my hands, and walking across the front of the net on my hands to get everyone to think that I was amazing. Do you know the one problem with my plan? When I finished my tumble and got up to stand on my hands, and I could walk on my hands in those days, I still kind of can, but I'm not going to show you that because that's not what this is about. (laughs) When I got up to walk on my hands, this finger bent underneath my hand, and I broke my own finger so that I could walk on my hands to show everyone that I couldn't play volleyball as well, but I was funnier than you. And then had to play the entire six matches with a broken finger. Because I wanted to show off. I've I've injured my back 
because I worked in a, in, a, in a garage where we repaired cars, and every now and then something really heavy would have come to the car, and the, uh, you know, the 40, 50-year-old mechanics would use hoists and things to lift it. There's nothing like hauling an engine block around a shop to just make all of the other men jealous as they shook their head, going, you are so stupid. <laughs> Not long ago, um, I changed the air conditioner in my uh, house, and the, the unit that was in the roof, the big ex- air exchanger, was very heavy, and so Luke, my son-in-law, helped me uh, get it, escort it off the roof uh, so we could replace it. It's so heavy. So we worked out a system where we could lower it off the side of the house with ropes rather than just throw it down and crash. So we all worked it out. I don't know if you know my son, Alan Luke, but he's, he's, he's a bit bigger than I am. But do you think that I could logically allow him to win? As he was lowering down his side with the rope, my side began to slide through my hands So I thought there's no solution here but to grip harder and wrap it around more. Of course, do you know that all that does is create a ton of rope friction across your skin, ripping the skin off my arm because if I had held onto it, I would have got pulled off the roof because I did not want to be embarrassed about my abilities next to this young buck. I might be 50, but I'm tough. I don't know about you, men, but there's a lot of what goes on in our lives where we are simply trying to make sure that other people respect us. Other men admire us. We have to gain our sense of worth. We do that through the things that we can do, the things that we own, the things that we enjoy, the things that we know. There's all sorts of ways that we kind of compete to do that. And I love this message from Timothy. Timothy says this to all of the men, and then he says something different to the ladies. He says, I desire that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. Just just pause there. With modesty and self-control, not with braided hair. Everyone look around judgmentally now. Gold or pearls or costly attire with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Now, let's not pick on the ladies. That's a different day. I don't know like, why you, can't, you never can pick on ladies. It's never as good. But do you see that this is written about competition? It's written about how women try to get a social status or standing based on their appearance. Does that, do you notice that, that that happens in your world? That women compete for social status based on their appearance. But by the way, they're not doing that to, to compete with men. I mean, you can tell, right? You know, like famous female uh, singer has to dress like a prostitute, sorry, like a, a braided hair, golden jewels, whereas a famous male singer can look like he just crawled out of the ditch. You know, you know they look like a garden gnome, and, and, you know, women have to look like goddesses. There's a different standard, but women are not competing with men for that status. They're competing with other women. And men, we fight to gain our position. So how do you get free from this 
always having to struggle, how to compete for worth. I'd like to suggest this. You start full. You start your life full. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized. It says in verse 16 and 17, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is, um, just just so you know, this was the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus had not done anything yet. He had not performed miracles. He had not preached to thousands. He had not stopped storms. He had not, he had not done anything. He had not, he had not died on the cross. He had not shown his devotion to the Father. He, had not, he hadn't done anything. And Jesus gets this affirmation at the start of his life. I love you and I am pleased with you. And Jesus starts his life completely full of everything else he's going to need. He doesn't work to get the praise of the Father. He starts with the praise of the Father. And because he has the Father's love, he's able to focus on the real fight. He doesn't have to fight for himself. He's able to fight for everybody else. He can lose his reputation because his reputation is with God. He doesn't need other people to think he's great because God already thinks he's great. He doesn't need to worry about having enough because God has promised to take care of his needs. Jesus starts full. He starts with a complete position. Now, can I just challenge you guys? Is that you? Are you full? Are you complete? Or are you competing? In Timothy, before he says, hey guys, let's stop fighting, let's start praying. Before he says that, he talks about himself and he says this about himself, Paul. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he had judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, uh, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul says that the only way that you really know that you are loved is if you receive love when you are at your worst. Otherwise, you think you earned it. If you... If you think God will love me if, if I'm a good boy, if I try real hard, if I manage all this stuff, if I do all these jobs for him, then God will love me. If you think that God will love you because you did something, then what you're getting is not love. You are earning something. You are buying something. But Paul knows the way that you tell that you are loved is how somebody treats you when you are at your worst. And Paul says, I was a horrible man. Paul doesn't boast about how awesome he was. I knew more stuff than anybody else. I was a leading scholar of my day. He goes, I was a jerk and an idiot. I was God's opponent. 
because I was so ignorant and couldn't have real faith, God looked, took pity on me. And you know, that's how I know that God loves me. And, and then he says, he says, this saying is, trust, is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost... Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. I wonder, guys, we are always in a world where we are trying to look like we are better than we really are. And girls do it in a different way, but guys are very sensitive to the status of respect and honor. I have this, look at me. And very rarely, very rarely do we want to admit that we are the worst of sinners, that we're failures, that we need help, we need help constantly, that we need encouragement, that, that we need to be forgiven regularly, that we need to be treated with grace because we haven't got it all together. And can I just say this? If God has not loved you at your worst, then you really don't know what love is. And if your friends don't know your worst, then they really don't know you at all. And if you constantly try to look better than you are, you actually cut yourself off from love. So he said, I've become an example of the way that God shows his patience because he took me, the biggest jerk, and gave me all of this wonderful love and this wonderful job, and I'm so grateful. And so it says that because he's free from that fight to please everybody else, he says, we freeze us men to fight. He says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Fight the good fight. Wage the good warfare. You don't need to fight for yourself. You can fight for everybody else. And so he says this to us, men. I desire that in every place men should pray Lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. I'd just like to let you know, men, that as long as you fight for your own self, for your own worth, you're not available to your family to fight for theirs. If you're trying to protect yourself, You're paying too much attention to your own needs and you're not there for the others. In fact, you might even see them as competing against your own needs. And so the counsel of Scripture is this. Jesus prayed that you would know how much you are loved by the Father and that you would know Him. And that if you are full in Him... You have plenty to share with others. 
And if you open up and admit that you're not complete and okay, that that's not dangerous, but it's a pathway to discover that you are deeply and permanently loved. Now, can I just I'll say one final thing that I didn't plan to say, but I feel I need to say. Some, some of you men, you are ashamed of who you really are. Deep down, you've got a real sense of, I don't like myself, I don't love myself, and I'm ashamed. What I've done, what's in my heart, what my achievements... And God wants you to know that you are loved by him right now without having done anything. And he wants you to learn what it means to rest in that love. And some of the other men, I think you know that you're pretending. You're pretending to be something that you're not because you feel like if you don't, that you will lose the very small amount that you feel like you've got from others. And God wants to say, don't be afraid. You will discover as you confess to someone else your inadequacies, your fears, your weaknesses, that they will actually admit the same things in themselves. And you will learn patience and understanding and kindness from God your Father. So I want to pray for us. I want to pray for all of us that we'll discover the truth of this love that God wants for us in Christ Jesus. And I want you just to open up your heart and just be honest with God for where you are right now. Father, you know each of our hearts. You know how confident we are in your love or how not confident we are. And in fact, there are people here today, people watching right now, that don't feel complete and feel the need to constantly pretend or perform or achieve in order to make themselves feel like they've got something of value. So, Father, I pray today that they would have a revelation of your love towards them. That for people that are ashamed of themselves, that they would realize that you are not ashamed of them that you love them and accept them exactly as they are, that you know all of their weaknesses, even the weaknesses that they deny to themselves, you know those things. And that, Lord, you love them in spite of it all because your love is not dependent on what we do. Your love is dependent on who you are. And so, Father, I pray today that you would give us, and especially the men and the dads here today a great overwhelming knowledge of this love that you have for us so that we can relax and we can stop fighting to gain it and that we can start helping those around us Lord I pray that you would release in us a new grace and an experience of grace that helps us just to walk confidently in life because we are not competing against others but we are walking with the full approval of you and your love. Lord, I pray that you would help us today to walk in that. And as we spend time now in worship, that you help us to adore you as Abel adored you, with full-hearted gratitude, with an uplifted heart, 
not trying to uh, protect our reputations, but lifting up our hands in worship and blessing you, Lord, that we would lift up our hands and pray and glorify you. And Father, that we would express our desire to be loved by you and to know that love by throwing aside every kind of restraint and thing that has to do with about our own self-image and that we would seek out your face today so that you may shine on us and blow those fears away. Lord, we pray that you bless us now, Lord, and help us to walk in the intimacy that you desire for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.